Fun one for you today. Hopped on with Ethan of Locked On Pirates to talk about the Henry Davis promotion, some of the fantastic pitchers they have in the system, and what they should do with the number one overall pick. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Tuesday, June 20th, and it is that time of year where the Pittsburgh Pirates and other teams call up their top prospects. So that, of course, means I had to bring in Lindsey Crosby of Locked on MLB Prospects, who we haven't had on the show in quite a while, despite the Pirates being uh, very busy calling up prospects over the past couple of weeks and even this year in general. Lindsey, how are you, sir? Everything going great over there in prospect land? You know, when when Henry Davis gets called up, I'm doing well. You always love to see, uh, you know, guys from more recent drafts, obviously 2021. You love to see guys who can play multiple positions and get on the field every day and could make an impact. So, yes, thrilled over here. Like you said, very busy. A lot of prospects coming up right now, but excited and specifically hyped about Henry Davis and what he can do in Pittsburgh. Yes, and obviously, of course, uh, this is a locked on crossover with Locked On MLB Prospects and Locked On Pirates brought to you by Game Time. Of course, you guys have heard me talk about Henry Davis at nauseum, but I will go ahead and give a disclaimer. We are recording this before Henry Davis's debut tonight against the Chicago Cubs. So me and Lindsay have no idea what he did last night against the Pittsburgh Pir- or against the Chicago Cubs um, at this current moment in time. But Henry Davis gets called up. There's a ton of like statistics that are wild about this. The least at-bats for a 1-1 since 1978. Um, I mean, he was compared to guys like Bryce Harper, Daryl Strawberry, all guys that had uh, more at-bats than he had in the minor leagues. Now, some of those guys, of course, were high school bats versus Henry Davis. When he was drafted, he was the first draft pick that I got the pleasure of talking about here on the Locked On Podcast Network. He was drafted for his bat. I don't think there's any... But I don't think there's really anything to say otherwise. Obviously, he was drafted as a catcher. He's been marketed as a catcher of the future. That's why it wouldn't surprise me on Monday night if he was a catcher, just because that's how the Pirates like to operate, is if they say, hey, this is the catcher of the future, he's going to catch in his first game. Now, obviously, we've seen him play at right field. We've seen him do good things. But obviously, I think Lindsey has more to say on Henry Davis than I ever would, even though he is my own player because he follows the minor leagues a lot more than I do. But I do know that Henry Davis has the bat tool, and that's why he was selected 1-1 a few years ago. Yeah, I, I talking about that that defense first, I think it's something he's gotten, like, he got, I think, underrated as far as defense entering the year. He was seen as being the second of the two catchers on defense, which I think is realistic, but he was also kind of seen as somebody who might not be good enough to stick behind the plate. And I think he's answered a lot of those questions when I watch him, the game calling. He does a lot of that. Louisville's one of those schools that lets the college catchers call their own game, just like Louisville, Georgia Tech, uh, Auburn, some of the schools that let guys call their own plays. So, so he's good on the game calling. He's gotten better with the lateral movement. The arm is obviously plus and really good. And I've been impressed with how he's looked in right field. I don't think he's going to win a gold glove out there or anything, but going off of seeing how his speed, you know, is okay, seeing how sometimes it felt like he wasn't the most agile of guys just simply because he's a he's a big person. 
uh, he he's done pretty well in the outfit. He's racked up a couple outfield assists. I think think he had one in Altoona and one in Indy, and mm-hmm. so you, he probably could be in the lineup five six days a week. And you know, catch if he catches three of those, and he I could see him playing the outfield three days and maybe DHing once, and he could play almost every single day. And offensively, it feels like you're absolutely going to get the payoff from that. He's really gotten better this year as far as making not only making contact, but making quality contact. You look at, you know, last year he strikes out like 51 times in 59 games. He's at 40 in 51 games this year. Uh, slugging's like 541. So, but, you know, it was, it was in the high 400s last year. And I just, I feel really good about him being as ready as he's going to be in the minors. There's only so much that you can necessarily learn, especially in AAA, because so many of the guys there are not there for development. The goal of AAA is to make your major league team better, to have backups, have reinforcements, have veterans there to come up and and play. So I like the decision. I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised. Do I expect a little bit of an adjustment period when he's dealing with, you know, spin down and away and things like that? Yeah, I do. But I also think he could surprise us and go deep in one of his first games and it be a 450-foot bomb. Yeah, and that's the one thing that I would say to all Pirates fans, and I'm sure you would say the same thing, is don't be surprised if he's not catching a lot either. Of course, I don't know if you caught this, but they are going to keep three catchers on the roster. Obviously, not a lot of people wanted to see that with – Austin Hedges and Jason DeLay kind of not offensively inclined, but I do think that is better for him in the short term, at least to have those two guys kind of man that position for now. Mm -hmm. And especially Henry Davis, he can go in and catch, but you also still have to have a backup catcher at some point, especially if Henry Davis is going to be playing right field. You still got to have that Jason DeLay or Austin Hedges to play backup catcher because forcing Henry Davis to play right field. And then let's say, God forbid an injury happens at the catcher position and one of those other guys isn't there. It's a big adjustment to go from right field to catcher in the middle of a game. Now, mm-hmm. of course, Henry this year, you talked about some of the stats, 284, 433, 541 slash line, 23 extra base hits, 40 walks to 46 strikeouts. I'm a big guy, especially in the minors on that walk to K rate. I always love looking at that because that shows me a lot. That shows me that you're disciplined at the plate. That shows me you look at strikes that you might not like, but you'll also hit what you like. And you look at some other guys that have also made impacts and that you sorry. On the note of the the walks to strikeouts, the big thing for me on that is he did it he had that same ratio at both double A and AAA. And I feel like one of the under-discussed adjustments when a guy goes from AA to AAA is AA is a lot of prospects who are still developing. AAA oftentimes includes quite a few veterans who have major league experience and are trying to get back to the bigs. And so you get pitched differently in AAA than AA. And, and it's a good, like in some cases, it's a good test of of how you can handle major league pitching because the approaches at AAA from the pitchers are different. So I feel like it's a good sign that he had eight walks to 11 strikeouts in AAA. It's not just all taking advantage of AA pitching. Yeah, and I also think, and you might think this as well, that might be why he was in AAA for such a short time. 
I mean, he was only in AAA for about a week and a half. He wasn't yeah. there for that long. Ten games. And, yeah, and, and I mean, I think that speaks to just how good he was at the minor league level. And this also, and this is something I talked about on my show yesterday with Gary Morgan, this might just be a way that Ben Sherrington wants to operate. And it's something that we'll talk about when we talk about the 2023 draft in the final segment of today's show maybe he's going to get aggressive with these guys that are playing really well at the minor league level and bring them up quickly. I mean, you have an Andy Rodriguez that's still sitting in triple a right now and mashing that a lot of pirates fans, including myself thought he would be the guy mm-hmm. to come up before Henry Davis. And now he might be on the back burner to get some more things going. And I also said on my show yesterday, maybe in a couple of weeks, but we'll see how the pirates want to operate on that front. But They've been aggressive calling guys up. You get Carmen Majinski being called up, Osvaldo Bito, Luis Ortiz. Uh, G1 Bay has done well this year. Jack Sawinski has done well this year. Kenyon Smith and Jigba. Josh Palacios put his contacts in, and he, he, he's he been doing okay this year. You also mentioned um, – there's a guy you mentioned before we started recording, and Travis Swaggerty as well. Uh, played five games last year. Has kind of gotten buried a little bit amongst this big outfield group has played a ton of minor league games, also has dealt with injuries and off-field things that are understandable as to why he wouldn't be playing. Where do you think he fits very shortly in what the Pirates are trying to do? I love Travis Swaggerty's defense. I think he's the best defensive center fielder on, on this team and one of the better defensive center fielders in the upper minors. I do think that there is a little bit of a ceiling on his his power potential, I just, I mean, his career slugging in the minors in 300 plus games is like 387. But it's something where his his speed shows up more on defense than it does on stolen bases. But his, you know, good contact ability. If he plays, if he plays center field every day, he's probably that that guy who's going to bat eighth or ninth in your lineup. He's not going to be a complete black hole, but he's not necessarily going to carry the offense. But the defense more than makes up for it, especially if you have a guy like a Henry Davison Wright, who is a little bit range limited. Swaggerty gives you the ability to shade a little bit that way, you know, knowing that Brian Reynolds can hold his own and left, you know, plus some. Uh, I think he's a good complement to Davis if the two of them are up together. Obviously, we just want everything to go okay with him and his family and hopefully get back soon. Yeah, of course. And it's something that. I do think he's a guy that will make an impact defensively at best. I do think he's a bench bat for the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Pirates, but on those days that you do need that defensive center fielder, I do think he will eventually find that time. But maybe if the Pirates also see themselves as buyers at the trade deadline, maybe he's a guy that you move to a situation for the better for him. Yeah. But the biggest thing that we've seen from the Pirates recently is the call-up mayhem, that I like to call it, of these starting pitchers. Back to our chat with Ethan in just a second. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite event should not be stressful. And Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets to all of the events. Sports, music, comedy, theater events near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guarantee. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less than what you paid... Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account, 
Use promo code locked on MLB for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And prospect mayhem has been a thing lately for you in general with LA De La Cruz, Henry Davis. All the prospects are getting called up in the NL Central, and why not? It's a wide open division. And something that I reached out to you personally about that I wanted to talk about was just this crazy string over the last five or six days of the Pittsburgh Pirates calling up some starting pitching. And we've seen it with Oswaldo Beto getting called up to the major league roster. You've seen Kyle Nicholas get called up to double A Altoona, I believe, or even I think he's in triple A Indianapolis now. Anthony Salamedo gets called up from Greensboro to Altoona. Jared Jones gets the call. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff, but let's start with uh, Quinn Priester. Who's the guy in this system that every Pirates fan knows. He's the guy that is supposed to be the starter of the future for this team somewhere in the rotation. But now he has guys that are kind of getting behind him a little bit. There's like there's some guys that are kind of getting even with Quinn Priester here. Uh, Quinn Priester here. So the floor is yours, Lindsay, to just kind of go over some of these guys, who you might like the most, what you see in these guys for the future. I like some of the changes that Quinn Priester has made. The, the The book on him coming into or wrapping up last year was he had good velocity on the fastball. Mid-90s, he could run it up a little higher, but the shape wasn't necessarily great. It was pretty just dead straight, and so he didn't get a ton of swing and miss on it. He, re- he built a sinker into the whole profile, and then he throws that more often than the four-seamer. I do think the curveball is the best curveball in the system. It is a beautiful curveball, at least a plus, if not better, sits high 70s low 80s the vertical breaking i like pitchers that can do the vertical game he has a slider and a changeup, and they move laterally but when you have the fastball curveball combo that are you know that that it's very much you're working up and down in the zone it gives you better options against both lefties and righties and not everybody can do that um it's it feels like sometimes he gets a little too kind of stiff and rigid in the in the delivery, but I do think that some of the changes the team has made is making that better. Uh, he's in AAA Indy right now. You see, I mean, it's he's striking out about one guy per nine innings. He's walking around four per nine, a little bit higher than I'd like, but I feel like it's been some of the adjustments to to the zone and to those hitters, and then also just learning to get that sinker in there. So I'm not as concerned as I was at the end of last year about his future. I do obviously see him as a mid-rotation guy. The question is just, when are you ready to call him up? When do you need him? And uh, as long as he can keep the sinker down, he should be successful. The issue, obviously, is when you leave a sinker up in, up in the zone is when it can get crushed and when it can get hurt. Um, Anthony Solomedo is a guy that has really interested me in what he does. He's Tons of deception in what he does. He, th- he throws a sinker too, but he's 6'5". He's got super long arms. And the joke I like to make, because I have him in Dynasty, the joke I like to make is it looks like an octopus throwing a baseball. Yeah. Like he's just got stuff flying in everywhere, so it's kind of hard to pick it up. The deception's really good because of that. Um, but he's got the, the, the fastball, a good changeup that kind of stays together with it, more of that vertical stuff. And then he does have a sweeper. He can't always command what the sweeper does. That's the hot new uh, pitch, obviously. And sweepers do have very significant platoon splits. So being a lefty, he's throwing that in on a righty. 
Uh, when he faces a lefty, he's taking it away from them. He he does a little better with it than a lot of other guys do as far as both lefties and righties. But uh, for being so young, does really well. I liked his first start he made in double-A. Want to see how he does at that level. That's the big adjustment. But if that goes well, I think you could see him... Uh, you know, getting some of the end of the season, like last week or two of the year in AAA, come back there, and you could see him by midseason next year. Um, I've got a couple more listed, but I I, I want to make sure that people understand how high they should be on Jared Jones. Uh, he's coming into the season, he was kind of farther down some of the prospect rankings and some of the lists. I think he's probably the second or third best pitcher in this system right now. Like, mm-hmm. really good athlete, can touch 100 miles an hour on the fastball, uh, slider, curveball, combo to go with that. The changeup has gotten really, like, has gotten a lot better than it was last year. And that's kind of the big differentiator between a guy and a dude. Um, he, his velo sometimes drops a little bit later in starts. He doesn't always carry that all the way through. And I think, I mean, he's like just under 200 pounds. He's like six six one, six foot, yeah. 180. So, Questions about the durability, a little bit more physical development you need there. But I really do like all four pitches. I like how well he can sequence them. The question is, one, like getting fatigued physically when he does in the outing. The velocity drops a bit. Uh, the command kind of wavers some because he gets out of his mechanics. So it's just a little bit of like nutrition and development work to get Jared Jones. But I kind of see him versus, like instead of just being a possible like a possible closer or a back of the rotation guy i see him as like a mid rotation guy and depending on what his as he puts on healthy weight and what his velocity does he could go into a you know possibly like a number two kind of role but i i'm a lot higher on jared jones now than i was last year simply because the the, both breaking balls look nasty the fastball is still electric and the changeup is way more improved than it was last year yeah and um for Pirates fans specifically, we'll also remember that we had a high riser in the system last year. It was Luis Ortiz, a guy that was pretty much on nobody's prospect board, rose through the system really fast, even got five starts last year, and now he's with the Major League team this year. But I wanted to talk about pitching specifically just because you look at what the Pirates have dealt with this year, specifically at the Major League level with pitching. Mm-hmm. You've lost JT Brubaker to a season-ending Tommy John surgery. He'll be back sometime midtime next year you look at mike burrows who was a guy that you were very close to when we were talking about the pirates prospects Mm -hmm. not too long ago he has the same deal he's also been on the show very nice guy and then you also lose vince velasquez to a season-ending elbow surgery so now it's kind of been i don't want to say panic time but i don't think there's not a rhyme or reason to what they're doing here with the guys like Kyle Nicholas, Quinn Priester, Osvaldo Beto getting the call up. Now, Osvaldo Beto, of course, not really in that prospect range anymore, I wouldn't say. He's 27. He spent seven years in the minor leagues. Um, and that's one thing the Pirates do very well with these pitchers they sign out of the international draft and international signing period is they let these guys kind of grow into their own and they they are very patient with these guys. I mean, beto has been in this system for seven years. Of course, he already has a start under his belt. He started last night, again, recording on Monday afternoon, so don't know what he really did. I do think Beto personally profiles more as like that long relief option than he does a starter. He's never really shown that he's going to be that guy that's going to go seven, eight innings in a game. 
But the way you're talking about this, and this is why I like to get your opinion and outside opinions on prospects, because something you've said before, fans of prospects on their own team are always going to elevate those prospects into a different stratosphere than what they actually are in. Yeah. But it sounds like what you're saying is that the Pirates do have some actual guys in this system pitching-wise that are going to be helpful for the future. Yeah. I mean, like, Beto... Beto is, to me, he really should be a reliever. I mean, he it's a it's a fastball and a cutter, and that's really all you're kind of dealing with. But Priester, Solometto, Jones, I mean, these are all guys that, Kyle Nicholas, these are all guys that are legitimate rotation candidates and at this point in their development are more likely than not to make it to the bigs, right? And so, like, you've got reinforcements coming, it's something where you do some work on a guy like a Ruanzi Contreras. Obviously, you still have Mitch Keller. Like You end up and, hey, we've got going into what's just hypothetically going into spring training next year, depending on how some of these guys do. Like Solomedo just went to double A. Uh, Nicholas just went to triple A. Depending on how some of these guys do the rest of the year, you've got six or seven options for five rotation spots. Like, they're legitimate options. They're legitimate pitching prospect options. If you want to make a trade, I know the industry as a whole is pretty high on both Ortiz and Jones and Priester. I, I'd say they're probably all right there in that top five, six range, simply because Tamar Johnson, Henry Davis, and Eddie Rodriguez are your one and three. But, like, Solo Meadows in your top ten. Bubba Chandler, we haven't even talked about him, but he's still considered a top ten prospect in the system. If you wanted to make a deal for a guy at the deadline, these are all attractive pieces. And if not, they're all guys you can get to the bigs in the next, for the most part, the next season and a half to, like, one, you know, one to two seasons, you can see them in MLB. And that's not, it doesn't really feel like that's been a situation we've been in, having this many guys with promise who are this close and should pan out at the major league level. So it's working. You just have to finish it up and get them there. Yeah. And before we talk about potentially adding a, what you might've called generational pitcher to that mix, we'll be right back. All right. Final segment here today with locked on, MLB Prospects host Lindsey Crosby, and it might not seem like it's that close, but it is. The MLG, the MLB draft is getting around the corner. College World Series, uh, I believe, is still going on. Oh, yeah. I think it actually just started pretty much with all like the big stuff. And yeah. for Pirates- last Friday was the first day of the College World Series, so I've been I've been glued to minor league baseball, professional baseball, and college baseball all yeah. weekend. And Pirates fans says. Specifically, been glued to two guys uh, with the number one overall pick. They won it in the MLB draft lottery. This will be the second time in three years they have this pick. But I feel like it's a really different scenario than it was in 2021. Mm -hmm. 2021, you had a choice between five or six guys that could have genuinely been the number one overall pick. Now... Some people would say, eh, Dylan Cruz is 1-1. Some people would say that. Other people will tell you there's realistically three options for this number one pick. You have Dylan Cruz, you have Paul Skeens, and you have, I believe his first name is Wyatt Langford. Wyatt Langford out of Florida, yeah. Yeah. 
So for Pirates fans, Lindsay, um, I don't know here because it, it's one of those situations where I feel like you can't really go wrong with any of them. But what are the impacts of taking any of these three guys? Okay, so and the way that a lot of draft people break down the draft is into tiers. And that that first tier, the question is always how big is that first tier? And like you said, last year it was it was bigger. This year, depending on who you ask, it's 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 usually three players, maybe five if you want to count the two prepsters, Walker Jenkins and Max Clark. But to me, it is as good as Wyatt Langford is, had the, like one of the best logging percentages in all of college baseball this year. But he's also like he's a left fielder, like he defensively can't play anything else. To me, it's Dylan Cruz versus Paul Skeens. I've been lucky enough this year to see both of them in person. I watched Dylan Cruz over a three-game series. Uh, I watched Paul Skeens make one of his best starts of the year in college. I think he had 17 strikeouts over something like eight, eight innings. Uh, just absurd. To me. Paul Skeens is, I think, a generational type player. It's the, it's the, he's the most dominant college pitcher I've seen since Steven Strasburg. Uh, and, and, and I don't say that lightly. If this is me, if this is my team, the hard thing is it's, you're not supposed to draft for need in the first round, right? You take the best available talent. And Dylan Cruz is considered to be the best available talent. He's considered to be, you know, a 65 to 70 future grade player. But Paul Skeens is so incredibly unique because he has two pitches that are 70 grade. The fastball. I've watched him. The 110th pitch of his outing was a 101 mile an hour sinker. I mean, it was a two seamer at 101. So the velocity is amazing on this fastball. The slider. I watched him leave three consecutive sliders. I had a trackman dashboard when I saw him. I watched him leave three consecutive sliders at the exact same point down and away in the zone, three consecutive pitches. Uh, the changeup is one of the better changeups in the draft. It's those in the upper 80s. It's faster than some dude's fastballs, and he can throw it for a strike whenever he wants. He gets like a 65% swing and miss rate on the slider. He gets over 30% swing and miss on the fastball, which that's usually the lowest um, usually the goal for called strikes plus swings and misses is 30%, and you're usually below that on a fastball and above that on breaking pitches. He gets that on just the fastball. Watching him in college, it reminds me of watching an MLB pitcher who's making a rehab start in like high A. Like it's, he is, Paul Skate is one of the few pitchers I feel like you could draft him in July and you could have him in your MLB bullpen throwing short outings in late August or September, if not earlier. And he could be starting in 2024 at the major league level. And so the question is, do you want the outfielder who has very good uh, power, very good contact ability, a plus arm, can play center field for you at an above average level? Do you want that guy who you can get to the bigs in a season and a half? Or do you want the pitcher who is just about ready to go and is, again, one of the best college starters since 2009, maybe? It's, it's a really tough decision. If I'm, if I'm making the pick in a vacuum, I'm taking Skeens because I just don't think you see many guys as ready to go as he is out of college. But for the Pirates, you've got to figure out positionally 
what is what is better for the long-term future of this team? You have Brian Reynolds, who is you know just past 30. Like, what do you do on this? I'm curious to see what you think the team should do. So the biggest thing that I'm seeing and the pitch, like, so it kind of flip-flops every year with this team. Mm-hmm. Last year, the bats were the highlight of the system. The bats were the thing. That, that's what everybody loved. Now it's kind of flipped on its head, albeit Johnson, Rodriguez, and Davis are your top three guys. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of flip-flopped to the pitching, where you see Jared Jones, Alameda, Nicholas, Priester. Those guys are all going to eventually come up. But as I, I said something earlier about this that I found interesting to myself is what is the one gripe that every low-spending team has? They don't go out and spend on starting pitching. You can find bats. Mm-hmm. You can find those. Now, are you going to find a bat like Dylan Cruz? That's kind of tough. But guess what? The Pirates aren't, don't have the luxury of being the Houston Texans here and having the second and third pick in the draft and being able to get two of these guys. Um, But at the end of the day, I with the trajectory that the Pirates are on, and how they look this year, especially being competitive in the in this week division, but the trajectory of this division moving forward, I think I would want Skeens just because I think pitching is going to be more important for their overall growth over the next year and a half. But I won't be mad with either, and I don't think there's a reason to be mad with either pick at all. But if I'm choosing it, I think I would take Skeens, and that's a switch. I've switched from that about a week and a half ago to where I was just the guy with Dylan Cruz. Like it was just Mm -hmm. Dylan Cruz and that's it. But looking at it from what has happened and what could happen to this rotation, you never know who gets hurt and you never can have enough pitchers, especially a guy like Skeens. Yeah. And you mentioned the money angle. Uh, Obviously free agents have gotten more and more and more expensive, but I feel like, Finding mid-tier starters at like in your rotation is a lot more expensive than finding mid-tier starters for position players. The 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 free agency inflation has not hit your mid-range position players like it's hit your pitching. There's a lot of teams out there that paid $20 million a year for average pitchers. I mean, Jamison Talion got like 20 million bucks and like Noah Syndergaard signed for a bunch of money and he's not good. And so it, it feels like from a from a smaller market, smaller payroll revenue situation, Skeens is the better pick because he has the potential to be an ace and that's not something you're going to be able to buy on the free agency market. No. Whereas you can find an above average hitter and get some improvements in there and make them into a top producer. So I'm going skeins if I'm the Pirates. Yeah, and I agree 100%, honestly. But uh, I think between now and then, we'll obviously probably have another crossover on the way. It wouldn't surprise me at all with the draft slowly approaching. But my name is Ethan Smith. That is Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode, and hopefully it was informative. But thank you guys so much, and we'll see you on the flip side.